Welcome to the Um Yeah Sports Podcast with John and Chris, where it's unapologetically just about the sports. We're glad you joined us. Let's jump right in. It is the July 6th episode of the Um Yeah Sports Podcast. It's Wednesday, and do we have a treat for you. Mariners play-by-play broadcaster Rick Riz joined John on the Um Yeah Sports Hotline to talk about the current Mariners season, how we got his start in broadcasting, and much more. I'm Chris, and with me, as always, is John. Hey, listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't done so already, you can help us out by subscribing to the podcast, by hitting that subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app, and sharing the show with your uh, sports-loving friends and family. Also, if you're sick of supporting those big corporate websites, we offer you uh, umyasports.com, www.umyasports.com is a place that you can go to get your sports news and information all day, every day, curated for you from around the socials, around the web, hit all the local sites, bring it all together in one nice package for you, free of charge and free from ads. You can also find us over at um, yeah, Sports on Twitter. So we uh, we hope to see you over there. We'd love to to chat and uh and uh and talk so if you are a fan jump over there we'd love to hear from you all right big show john i think we're going to take pretty much the whole episode to uh to uh to talk to rick indeed all right so i guess without further ado let's get started uh hey there i'm here with uh rick riz from the voice of the seattle mariners how you doing I'm doing fine, John. How are you doing, buddy? It's nice to spend some time with you and talk a little baseball. Yeah, always fun. I'm doing well. All right, so I've got a couple questions here for you, starting with okay. um, in the season of Mariner baseball. Um, do you think the Mariners have a um, the team to be able to snap the uh, drought that they've been on, the playoff drought? I certainly do, John. It's been 21 years, way too long. The last time we made the playoffs, we had uh, – one of the greatest seasons in the history of the game of baseball. 2001, the Mariners won 116 games, more than any team in the history of the game. So it's been a long drought, but they definitely have a chance to do it. They came within one win of getting to the playoffs last year with a ball club that people expected us to lose 90, and they went out and won 90. They surprised a lot of people. Our bullpen was so great last year. This year, the starting pitching has been absolutely uh, remarkable. The bullpen has really come around. Uh, they had problems offensively, but now that's coming around as well. They've really missed Mitch Hanniger in the lineup and Kyle Lewis, and especially right now Ty France is on the injured list, but he's coming back hopefully this weekend for the series against the Blue Jays here at home. So I think definitely the Mariners have a chance to get back to the playoffs this year. Their pitching is so good. Yeah, I mean, especially with the Mariners, it feels like they've been cycling through a lot of different players over the last few seasons, watching them from like when we started watching them to now in the last few years, they've had a uh, quite a different amount of players. <laughs> but um, if, if you think, so you think they're going to get to get into the playoffs again, um, but which team do you think uh, poses the biggest threat to their playoff hopes? Well, right now you have Houston have, with a big lead, about a 13 and a half game lead in the American League West, so they're going to be tough and then you have Minnesota and Chicago slugging it out for the Central. Uh, the Yankees have a huge lead in the American League East. So you're looking at uh, Boston and Tampa Bay and then Cleveland or Minnesota. And then in our division, you have to stay in front of the uh, Angels so uh, and, and the Texas Rangers. So those are the teams that pose the biggest threats 
if you want to get a road to the playoff uh, and, and, you know, you got to win that wild card, a wild card spot, which fortunately there's one extra this year. There's three wild card teams now in the American League and three in the National League. So those are the teams that you have to beat. And then you have to stay where you are by beating the Astros. You can't lose any ground to them while maybe the other teams, Texas, you know, and Oakland or, or the Angels are possibly winning. So right now, because of so many teams that have a chance now to make the playoffs, there's like five or six clubs that you have to take aim at, you know, to try to leapfrog over them. But especially in that tough American League East, you don't want to see four teams going to the playoffs there because then the other two are the division winners. So you really have to make sure that you play better than uh, Tampa Bay and uh, the teams behind the uh, New York Yankees. Yeah. Um, And if you had to, like, when you get into the playoffs, you had to pick a certain team to play against. Would there be a team that you prefer to start out against that give you the best chance of winning, or are they all pretty pretty much the same? They're all all pretty much the same. If you get to the playoffs, you're pretty good. If you're one of six teams out of 15 in your league to get to the playoffs – you're good, and, and at that point, it's really the hottest team that moves forward. Uh, you may have the best team on paper. We were the best team in 2001, winning 116 games, but then the Yankees ended up beating us, and the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, the Yankees probably were favored in that World Series. The Diamondbacks won the World Series, so you never know in this great game of baseball, but uh, it doesn't matter you know, who we play, as long as the Mariners are there, this city, this region, this state uh, will go crazy once they do. And I think this is going to be the year they can get back to the playoffs. They kind of dug themselves a pretty big hole in May. But now they've won 12 out of the last 15 as we tape this interview. And uh, right now are just one game under 500 for the year. So if they can stay right there a little bit above before the All-Star break, they have a great chance, I think, in the second half of the season, because like I said, they'll get Mitch Hanniger back, Kyle Lewis, and hopefully this weekend we get Ty France back. Yeah, for sure. Be a great thing if the Mariners can finally get back in there after yeah. like I said, a very, very long drought. Um, a question on a more personal level for you. How did you get started in uh, broadcasting? Well, I'll tell you what, you're on a great path right now doing these podcasts, talking with people in the game of baseball. Uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. John, ever see the movie Sandlot? I have, yes. That's story of my life. We had a sandlot behind my house growing up, and me and my buddies played baseball all day long. Even the dog. <laughs> you know, in the movie, there was Hercules. Yeah. It was a big, fierce dog, and everything turned out to be a cream puff at the end of the movie, <laughs> you know, and uh, wearing the T-shirt, watching the kids play baseball. We had Mo the German Shepherd, whose backyard was on the third baseline or near the third baseline. So if a ball went into Mo's backyard, my job, was to jump over the fence, get the ball, throw it back out of the sandlot, because oh, that's wow. the only ball we had. Yeah. Jump over the fence and keep playing baseball with my buddies. Did it every time, except one time, Mo got me as I was going back over the fence. But anyway, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I loved the game of baseball, played it all day as a kid. And I remember John as a kid growing up listening to the games on radio. I'd watch the games on TV when I came home from school. My mother was the biggest Cub fan in the world. And she always had this little TV set on in the kitchen watching the Cub games. She loved Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and Ron Santo and all those guys. And then there were times where, you know, I listen, I watch TV and I listen on the radio. And I remember saying, man, I'd like to be that voice coming out of the radio doing a baseball game. Mm -hmm. So I would go downstairs to the television set in our basement 
which my dad, you know, remodeled back in the middle yeah. late 50s, early 60s. And uh, I'd watch the game, turn down the sound, and pretend I was Jack Brickhouse. He was the longtime announcer for the Chicago Cubs and even for the White Sox at times, but he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And I would do play-by-play down there. You know, okay, here's yeah. Ernie Banks with the bases loaded, swinging a fly ball. Hey, hey, mm. Ernie Banks with a grand slam. And then when I was 12 years old, I wrote uh, Mr. Brickhouse a letter. And I said, Mr. Brickhouse, I'd like to be a major league broadcaster just like you. How do I do it? And he wrote me back a letter Oh, nice. when yeah. I was 12. And he told me what you would tell any 12-year-old kid, which I tell kids, you know, work hard, believe in yourself, get that first job, and then it's up to you, you know, work your way through the minor leagues like a player. And that's what I did. I went to Southern Illinois University, great school. They had a great uh, communication school for radio and television and journalism. I was fortunate. I walked on and made the JV team, played there for two and a half years, got a job as sports director in, in, in Carbondale and did some play-by-play. And then I got a job in the minor leagues right away, uh, two days after I graduated in Alexandria, Louisiana. I spent uh, eight years in the minor leagues broadcasting, and every year, just like any other job, you uh, you know put out your resume and tape and mm-hmm. keep your fingers crossed, hope and pray that somebody likes mm-hmm. you, and the Mariners did back in 1983. So I've been here for 37 years in between. I spent three years in Detroit, came back here in 1995 so that's that's how i got started i fell in love with the game as a kid yeah collecting baseball cards playing on that sandlot playing in uh high school and college and uh i wanted to make this career and i'm so i'm living my dream and john you and everybody out there watching listening they can do the same thing too yeah did you ever have a, a you know <clears throat> aspiration to to go to the cubs and do them or did you always just oh yeah on any team oh no i was i was hoping to be the next well, first of all, I was hoping to be in the next Louis Aparicio, you know, the shortstop for the Chicago White Sox, Hall of Fame shortstop. That didn't work out. Now, I found out in college, you know, about a slider, and I got into broadcasting after playing three years there. But, yeah, you know, growing up in Chicago, it would have been a dream to be the announcer for the Cubs, but Jack Brickhouse was there for 40-something years, <laughs> and Harry Carey took over at Milo Hamilton. Yeah. One thing I found about, a, about this job, John, is that once you get here, if you don't screw up too badly, you could stick around for a long time. <laughs> so I've been here for 40 years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that would have been nice, you know, being the announcer for the White Sox or the Cubs. But when when the opportunity knocks, no matter where it is, you got to take advantage of that opportunity. And thank God that uh, the Mariners called me up in 1983 and wanted to be their announcer. And, and I'm, I'm so happy because I love it out here. I love this organization. Mm-hmm. It's a great organization. I love the city. It's absolutely beautiful. And, uh, of course, I wouldn't want to work anyplace else. Yeah. It'd be nice if they went back to the playoffs because you were there right yes. before they got in. And you'll be there well after. So that'd be nice. Get that'd be great. Treat. Um, so well, what does a day in the life of a broadcaster for you look like? What do you do uh, on a game day to get ready for it? Well, um, I'm doing it right now, as a matter of fact. I don't know if. You can see this. Uh, can you see that, John? Yeah, I can. That's my scorebook. Gotcha. And uh, we're getting ready to play the Toronto Blue Jays tomorrow. And here's our side with what we're doing. And here's the Blue Jays side with uh, Marco Gonzalez getting ready to start tomorrow night. So I sit here uh, with my cat, Sparky. Here's my notes. Yeah. And stat pack from yesterday's game in San Diego against the Padres. Media guide magazines, computer, everything right here. Yeah. So this is my office. 
And I spend at least an hour and a half, two hours every morning with my uh, cup of coffee right there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I do my homework and everybody has homework. Uh, preparation is so important. And um, that's what I do. I get ready. Then when I get all this work done here, it's, I call it my foundation. Then I'm ready to do a good job, hopefully, for the fans. And when I get to the ballpark, I like getting in the park early, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. We talk to the manager about 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But it gives me an opportunity, John, to stand there or sit there and talk with the players. Yeah. And that's what I enjoy doing is getting the stories, finding out about Marcus Wilson, who came up after eight and a half years in the minor leagues, who finally made his major league debut and walked in a game here at home against Oakland. Then we go on the road. He got his first major league hit yesterday or two days ago against the Padres in San Diego. What that was like. Cal yeah. Raleigh to hit his first triple, you know, in the big leagues and have his first stolen base in the major leagues a couple of days ago. And that's what I like to do. Stand in the warning track, sit in the dugout, go in the clubhouse and talk with these guys because the fans deserve that. You know, you're a storyteller each and every night. Mm -hmm. You don't have a script. But the start of the ball game, you start writing that script. Middle of the game comes around. You're still writing, broadcasting. At the end of the day, hopefully have your beautiful story to tell, you know, about the game itself and yeah. about the players who play it. And that's, as a fan, that's what I enjoyed listening to because the announcers, Jack Brickhouse in Chicago, Bob Elson, uh, Jimmy West, Lou Boudreaux, uh, Lloyd Pettit, they made the game come alive to me and I could see the game on the radio. And I think that's the biggest uh, compliment that we can get as broadcasters when somebody tells me that, you know, because you're a description of a game, I can see the game. You know, I can feel the energy and the excitement at T-Mobile Park here in Seattle or Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park, wherever we're playing. So that's what I like to do. Get ready for the game. And the most important thing is the game. The notes are here for me to go to and tell stories but I learned that the best thing is don't broadcast your notes. Be sure and broadcast the game. Mm -hmm. But there's pre plenty of opportunities to take glance down and see one of my notes and turn it into a story. Mm -hmm. Because, as you know, there's a lot of time between pitches, a yeah. lot of time between plays. And we need to weave in those stories uh, when we can to make it entertaining for the fans. It's all about the fans and making sure that my goal as a broadcaster, John, is to put each and every fan in the front row seat at T-Mobile Park or wherever we're playing so they can see the game on the radio. Yeah. I think it's interesting because when you think about what um, broadcasting is, when you listen to the people do the broadcasting in the game or whatever, they tell these stories about the players and you know, yeah. what they did and where they came from. You don't realize that they're on the field talking to the players hours before the big game begins and getting yeah. all this material. So that's kind of one of the most fascinating things about it is kind of how involved you are with each player and each, and, you know, each uh, manager and, and on the field and everything like that, which was yeah. uh, similar to the interview I did a couple of weeks ago with another broadcast from minor league. He said the same thing. Uh, but I wanted to ask you um, with the broadcasting, um, what he said when he, when he did a minor league broadcasting game is, and I was, was able to go into the booth. So I was able to see this, but he has a, a TV and the radio. So he's talking, but he also has a TV rolling so you can see the game um, on the field and kind of see what's the ball strikes and everything like that. Do you do the same thing or is it just, um, just the field and you're just looking at that the whole time? No, 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 John, we have a monitor. And it's set up right there, and I get the live feed of the game okay. from our telecast. 
and it's there for me to take a look at it and see where the pitch is, what the pitch is, and then I look up right away to find out, you know, what's going on, where the ball's hit, who's chasing it down. So, yes, no, we have a monitor there. I've got my computer if I need it for to get the baseball reference and pull up these guys, get more information. But uh, that monitor really helps because before every pitch, the director goes to the center field camera. So you can look in and see the signs, but now you have pitch comms. So all they're doing is hitting little buttons on their yeah. shin guard, you know. <laughs> but you can tell by where they're set up that they're set up inside. Usually it's going to be a fastball. If they set up a weight, usually it's going to be a, a breaking ball, slider, curveball, uh, maybe a change up away from a lefty to a, a left-handed there. But anyway, uh, yeah, we rely rely a lot on that monitor to find out uh, what the pitch is going to be, where it's coming, and the location of it. Because now you got that box, and you can tell if the pitcher just missed outside or got the call or threw a strike right on the corner and didn't get the call. <laughs> yeah. I know the umpires don't like it, but uh, <laughs> it gives us something else to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, you touched on it. You very much like talking to players. Would you say that's your favorite part of broadcasting is being able to kind of see the stories or is there another facet that'd be your favorite? That that's the, my favorite part, you know, getting to know these guys and telling the stories. And then, you know, if something happens like an inside the park home run, like we saw from Dan Wilson many years ago or a great play, that's, that's the joy we get as broadcasters to be ready for the moment and don't miss the great play. Yeah. Uh, back in 1995, Luis Soho got a base hit past JT Soho at first base, and everybody scored, including Soho. It was a one nothing game. It was a must-win. It was a, basically a playoff game because we were tied with the California Angels. They were the California Angels mm. at the time. And uh, it, you got to be ready for the great play because you never know when it's going to happen, mm -hmm. especially a defensive play. It could come in the first batter of the ball game. Or a big hit, uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, in the bottom of the first inning. A couple nights ago, hit one way up in the upper deck in left field at uh, T-Mobile Park. So you got to be prepared, have your notes ready to go if you, you need them. But uh, it's it's the part of being the you know part of the greatest game in the world and the greatest job in the world. Yeah, what, what would you say is the as you said, you did minor league and then you worked your way up to major league. Um, what's the biggest difference as far as broadcasting, or is there a major difference between minor, minor league and major league broadcasting on a given uh, game or day? Yeah, well, the game itself is basically the same, but the players are much better. You know, pitchers can con control a fastball and a slider and a curveball changeup. They throw cutters, a lot of cutters now, and, and even splitters. So these guys are so talented at what they do. The velocity is unbelievable. The game, though, is pretty much the same. You know, guys are still trying to exit velocity and yeah. launch angle and things like that. I wish they would put the ball in play a little bit more. <laughs> like in the olden days, you know, I want to see a bunt. I want to see a ground ball to the right side, move a runner along the second and third. Just doesn't happen. But I think just the biggest difference, you know, are the press boxes, the travel, the life down to the minor leagues, it's not easy. It's really difficult, but if you love it, you grind through it. And then usually, <clears throat> as a minor league broadcaster, that's uh, maybe number three on your list of things to do. When I was in the minor leagues, I was assistant GM. I had to sell the advertising and season tickets. I was the clubhouse guy. My first year in the minor leagues in 1975, washed the uniform, shined the shoes for the visiting players, then do trainings to play-by-play. But basically... When I got to the big leagues, I went 
wow, all I have to do is be a broadcaster. I don't have to be on the grounds crew if it's raining. I don't have to sell season tickets. You know, I don't have to put together promotional lights. I don't have to be the PR guy. I was the traveling secretary. So that's the that's the joy about being in the big leagues. Is you just, they got other great qualified people to do all those jobs. And you could be and you could be a broadcaster, right. which is was really nice. And I did have to wake up at four o'clock every morning when I was in Columbus, Ohio, and Memphis. I did a, a morning drive sports. Got up at four every morning downtown at five at the radio station. I did a one minute sports cast every half hour and a five minute newscast at the top and bottom of the order. I don't know how he did that. Okay. For four years, my last two in Memphis, my two years in Columbus, Ohio, and then go home, grab a little lunch, then go to the ballpark and do a game that night. Oh, wow. That's a full so day. That, that was a long yeah. day from four o'clock in the morning to about midnight. So I didn't get much sleep for four years, but it all pays off. You mm-hmm. know, if you want to put in the time, the effort, um, and just hang in there, you really got to believe in yourself. Give yourself time to get to the big leagues. Uh, it's the greatest life in the world. And how long from when you started minor league until you got to the major league? How many years was that? Did you do the different sort of jobs and stuff? Yeah, that was eight years. Okay, wow. Yeah, I started in 1975, and I got to the Mariners in 1983. I spent the one year in Alexandria, Louisiana. And then we moved the franchise to Amarillo, Texas. We were still in the Texas League, but in Amarillo for two years. Then I got a job in uh, Memphis, Tennessee with the Memphis Chicks. We were a double-A farm club for the Montreal Expos. And uh, I was there for three years and then went to Columbus, Ohio with the Columbus Clippers, the Yankees triple-A farm club in the International League. And I think they're now with the uh, Guardians. But I was there for two years. Don Mattingly was our left fielder at the time because our first baseman were Steve Balboni and Marshall Brandt. They were pretty good first baseman. Then Donnie when he was called up, eventually started playing first base, great first baseman in the big leagues. But, uh, yeah, eight years the minor leagues. So that's why it's so important when I tell young broadcasters, uh, men and young ladies, because now we have um, a young lady broadcasting play-by-play for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, you know, give yourself some time. That way you, you, you have more opportunities later on, mm-hmm. you know. But the more, main thing is that you get better. Yeah. The more games you do, the better you're going to be. I mean, if I listen to my tapes from my first year in 1975 compared to my eighth year, uh, I wouldn't hire myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you learn the game. You got to learn the game. That's the most important thing is to learn the game. Know what should happen, what's going to happen, explain why it's happened. Because basically, that's the other main difference about minor league baseball broadcasting and major league baseball broadcasting. In minor leagues, I was the only guy in that booth. Right. So I had to do it all. I was the play-by-play guy. I was the analyst. I was the pregame show host. I was the postgame show host and did all those other jobs as well. But uh, in the big leagues, you've got a color analyst, you know, former player or another broadcaster just like you came up through the minor leagues. But, uh, yeah, like like I said, it's it's a lot of fun. and. I'm living my dream, buddy, and you can't too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was been watching quite a few of the uh, different Mariners games the last few days, and he mentioned the Padre game where uh, uh, J.P. Crawford hit that um, line drive triple. over. Yeah, the triple that got the two guys home, get it, go up six or whatever. I think they got two extra runs there. So yeah. uh, padding the lead a little bit there. But uh, speaking of different players, who's your favorite guy on the Mariners roster right now? Oh, right now? Oh, my goodness. Uh He's not playing right now, but Mitch Hanniger has always been one of my favorite guys 
on this baseball team. He's been hurt since the early part of the season. Hopefully we'll get him back after the All-Star break. Every guy is is so nice on this team. They've been great to me. Uh, Julio Rodriguez is only 21 years of old, oh, wow. 20 year, 21 years of age. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's right now, and I tell people he's one of the most exciting. I we used to say one of the most exciting young players in the game. Took off the young. He's one of the most exciting players in the game of baseball. He was just named the American League Player of the Week. He was named the American League Rookie of the Month for June, which he was in May. Uh, he's just a real sweet kid. Loves the game of baseball. I love to watch him play the game, the smile on his face, the yeah. way that he plays it like a, watching a Little League game out there, the joy of a Little Leaguer. And every every guy in this team is so nice. I go right around the field. A. Eugenio Suarez is one of the nicest guys in the game of baseball. Tom Murphy, unfortunately, had the shoulder surgery is out for the year. J.P. Crawford, Adam Frazier, Ty France, Cal Raleigh is a great kid. And, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez, uh, Jesse Winker, you name it. All these guys are great. Marco Gonzalez in that starting rotation. All the starters are it's hard to pick one. <laughs> it's too many. It, really, it, yeah. it really is. We have a great team. They're a lot of fun to be around. They've been great to me. And uh, I, you really appreciate that. You, you build this relationship of trust. Mm -hmm. When they see you and you ask them for a pregame interview, they know, you know, you work for the ball club and you're, you're not there to dig anything. You're just there to talk about baseball and maybe a little bit about their lives to let the fans know what it's like to be right. them. I, I interviewed Mike Trout a few weeks ago when he was here, and one of my questions was, what is it like to be Mike Trout? Yeah. Because, you know, I was never going to be the greatest ball player in the game of baseball. That was really obvious. But what's it like to be Mike Trout? And uh, he had a, this great answer. You know, he's blessed to be able to do what he's doing and go out to a ballpark and have fun. So uh, you meet the greatest guys of the world and ladies you know, that are in the game of baseball now as well, that work for clubs, are getting into broadcasting. Susan, Susie Waldman over in New York, she's been involved in baseball for many, many years. She's an incredible talent and other ladies. So uh, you enjoy all those great relationships that you make uh, throughout the game of baseball. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a it's an interesting job. It has a lot of facets that you don't really think about when you're just listening to it on the radio and yeah. just uh, enjoying it. And uh, for me, when I was watching, you know, uh, Seattle baseball, the, your voice is the voice I heard every time we we would tune in and listen to it. So whenever <laughs> I think of the Mariners, I think of you and you know what you've done. And I've been kind of that's my childhood is listening to that. So appreciate that. Um, but yeah, you're thank welcome. You. Thank you for coming on and uh, giving us an opportunity to interview uh, you and see what it's like uh, to be the Mariners play-by-play -play announcer. All right, John. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Good luck to you in your career. Thank Believe you. in yourself, work hard, and uh, you know, take advantage of every opportunity along the way and hope to see you in the big leagues one day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. All right. That was awesome. Very good. Listeners, thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please do that. And uh, if you uh, have friends and family that love sports as much as you do, please share the podcast and the website with them as well. Appreciate you. We'll chat soon.